Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Bar Humbug, a podcast about the cuddliest of all movie genres, the Christmas movie. My name is Helen O'Hara and like a department store elf, I'll be steering you through this Christmas season. So today we're going to be talking about Claire Duval's happiest season, new this year on Video On Demand, and the 1994 classic While You Were Sleeping from John Turtletob. Will this new contender be joining the ranks of the Christmas classics or is it likely to send you into a coma? Well, with me to talk about it are two of the world's greatest Christmas movie experts, two people who carry emergency tinsel about their person at all times and are never without a spiced alcohol of some kind. First up, I'm delighted to welcome broadcaster and journalist Anna Smith, the founder and host of the Girls on Film podcast, and a woman who has forgotten more about rom-coms than most people ever know. Hi, Anna. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks for that lovely intro. <laughs> and we're also joined by another of my favourite people, Ollie Richards, who's a former colleague at Empire and general film writer and dog owner extraordinaire. How are you doing? I'm very well. All this tinsel is becoming very itchy about my person now. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just the way it is. You guys just, have got to get used to you it. You do what you do for Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so before we get into these two films specifically, what is your attitude to Christmas movies as a whole? Are you an elf or more of a Grinch? Uh Elf, I think I would generally go for. I, I'm definitely uh, in the mood for movies that make you smile at Christmas. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's it's a season where you can be a little bit more cheesy than usual, which is always welcome in in my personal household. Not to say with everyone in the household with me, but from my, my personal <laughs> uh, living room. Um, and um, yeah, I think something with a tiny little bit of edge, which is why I think when you said Elf, that chimed with me, because even though obviously it's very cosy and cuddly, it still has a slightly edgy humour for a family mm. film, which is always welcome to me. Mm. Cuts through the cheese mm. like a good wine of some sort i don't know um ollie how about you uh total elf as well and i'm i'm far more forgiving of christmas movies than i am of of normal movies a christmas movie doesn't have to be very good for me to like it um just needs like an obnoxious amount of white fairy lights mm -hmm. um everyone in nice jumpers ideally a big house where a party uh, happens. of course yeah um and i actually i don't like too much edge i don't like it when they try to subvert it just, I'm here for something specific. Give it to me. I'm not really concentrating. <laughs> I have to concentrate to be subverted, and exactly. that's not an option. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm interested. I mean, these two films then meet at least some of your criteria, so it'll be interesting to hear what you thought about these. Um, first of all, also just to calibrate the audience to your personal taste, what are your favourite Christmas movies? Well, I would say, I mean, it's not a Christmas movie, but a movie I always used to watch at Christmas growing up mm. is The Sound of Music. 
Oh, I mean, yeah. it just sitting on the sofa, the cat on my lap, with the family, singing along, it makes you feel all warm inside. But again, actually, there is some edge in the sound of music because when you think mm. about it, it's certainly got some dark, darker themes and some Nazis. of the, com- the character comedy, exactly. Some of the character comedy is pretty on the nose, actually. Um, so Sound of Music would definitely be what I'd come back to again and again. Um, but in terms of actual Christmas themes, probably Elf. And actually, you know, a little bit of Home Alone doesn't go amiss when you've got a family crowd around. Absolutely. 30 years old this year, just in case you want to feel ancient. No, 30 I mean, years. I already did, but now more so. <laughs> um, having said I don't like um, Christmas movies that subvert Christmas, I'm going to contradict myself, which I do a lot. Um, <laughs> Muppet Christmas Carol, I think, is oh, my yeah. ultimate. Um, am I allowed Batman Returns as a Christmas movie? Yes, okay, absolutely. That too. Yeah. And Nightmare okay. Before Christmas. Oh, impeccable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think those are all on my list as well. Um, I really tried to get something to compare Batman Returns to this year, but no one's done anything even remotely similar. And I'm already kind of going with these very tenuous links uh, between the films. So let's talk about these two films. So first of all, we have Happiest Season, which is the story of Kristen Stewart's Abby, who's a PhD student uh, living in Pittsburgh with her girlfriend Harper, who's played by Mackenzie Davis. Um, Harper invites Abby home for Christmas and Abby's really excited. It's her first chance to meet the family. She's planning to propose. So this is a big deal. But on the car ride to her family home, Harper reveals that she has not actually come out to her parents yet and that they all think Abby is merely her orphaned roommate who is coming home because she has nowhere else to go. Comic misunderstandings ensue. Uh, Meanwhile, While You Were Sleeping is a Sandra Bullock starring film where she plays a toll worker, I guess, uh, in the Chicago L. Chicago transport system, who basically is madly in love, or at least has a mad crush on a passenger played by Peter Gallagher, who passes every single day. And one day when he falls onto the train track and injures his head, she actually saves his life. And then through an improbable series of misunderstandings, his entire family comes to believe that she is his fiance as well as his savior. And she goes along with it because she's very lonely and doesn't want to risk the health of his grandmother by telling anyone the truth at Christmas. So basically my kind of, you know, tenuous reasoning was both films are about keeping secrets from someone's family. Both are about someone who is desperately lonely at Christmas. And both are about lies that get completely out of hand. So, you know, I did my best. What do you think of, what What was your first reaction to both? Well, to the linking of the two? or uh, Yeah, actually, yeah. Well, absolutely. yeah, no, actually, because I didn't immediately put them together. But then when I rewatched While You Were Sleeping, I was like, oh, yeah, that is actually a really good shout because they're actually you know, in While You Were Sleeping, Soderbergh's character is, a, is an orphan as well. And that's made a, a big deal of to comic effect in Happiest Season, believe it or not. And um, so, yeah, it's about people that are, are lonely and looking for attachment and looking for belonging at Christmas, but also feeling separated from that family by a lie. So, yeah, good shout, I think. Yeah, when when you told me you were comparing the two, I had absolutely no idea what you were talking about. But yeah, um, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, very much, very much agree with Anna. Yeah, it's um, look, it's very difficult. I, I set up this whole you know format for this podcast, and then I actually have to make films fit it. It's it was a terrible, terrible idea. Um, but let's talk about Happiest Season first. So, did you enjoy it first of all? What did you think of it? Uh, I was so excited about this film. 
Um, and, and I did like it, but it's one of those films that you almost, you accept, expect so much expecting it to be perfect because mm-hmm. as the host of a feminist film podcast and we cover a lot of LGBT content and I was like, oh my gosh, a romantic comedy directed by Claire Duval, who I love anyway. Mm-hmm. And and then of course, starring Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis, who I love. And, you know, about two women, fantastic cast, very, very excited. Um, it did. It, I have to say it almost lived up to my expectation. And that is a massive compliment because my expectations were very high. I certainly enjoyed it. I certainly liked it. I thought it was funny. I thought it was better at comedy than romance. And I think that's where, mm-hmm. for me, it. I didn't get the feels. You know, I didn't get the kind of cosy. I didn't cry unlike the other film we're going to talk about. Um, but I, I, I did laugh. I did laugh a lot. I liked mm. the characters. I was rooting for them. And it obviously refreshing to see two women at the centre of a comedy like this because certainly in terms of comedies, you do seem to see, when you do find non-heterosexual characters, it is more commonly men. Um, and mm. to see two um, gay women in the centre of the story was refreshing. Mm. And to see the way that it explored um, their various issues and problems and the whole coming out thing. I hadn't seen it done in quite such a mainstream format before, right at the centre of the story rather than the comic sidekick, you know? Sidekick, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I I started off not... I didn't particularly like the first half. I thought there was... I thought the, the rhythm of it was a bit off. I thought when she went to the house, she wanted that sort of very kind of rat-a-tat, very, fu- very funny kind of um energy to it and it didn't mm. have that a lot of it fell a little bit flat to me at the beginning but it got much better and actually a lot of the stuff it had done in the first half in the second half became quite clever like the fact that uh harper in mm. the first half was like i hate harper harper <laughs> is the worst like i just i don't think that abby should be with her anymore because mm. she's abby just can a- do better yeah, yeah sure. exactly she should be with riley yeah. um, but then in the second half it was so sympathetic to Harper's situation which she was just like I've got myself stuck in this and I don't I don't know how to how to come out in a way that I'm happy I feel like my family will reject me mm-hmm. and it was so kind to her about that and I I thought it I thought everything from the moment she had that conversation with Abby outside was just so well done mm-hmm. I think there's loads that's terrific about it as a Christmas movie like like Anna I didn't get that that cosy, it's snowing outside kind of Christmas feeling. I wanted to sort of a little bit of the energy of the Home Alone household from that when they came home, like <laughs> just everything a little bit chaotic. It felt like the ingredients were there for that. Like they were a very messed up household and very eccentric, but mm. I didn't feel like it leaned into that in the way that it could have. So what, more for the evil children to do, more for the eccentric sister? Exactly, exactly. It set up so many things as, uh, oh, they're going somewhere with this. Like when they went to the went to the mall with Alison Bree's horrible sister, it's like there's going to be some absolute comedy gold here. And they it didn't go for it. Mm. But like I say, in the second half, I thought it just got, it got really good. Mm. It's an interesting thing, actually, the whole, um, the, the fact that Harper is as torn as she is between family and girlfriend lover um because it's something that i know some of my gay friends have kind of struggled with those who are less close to their families find it quite easy to come out to them mm-hmm. uh, and those who were very tied up to very conservative families obviously had a lot harder time and there was some judgment i think of that and i think it's it's interesting how this film shows real sympathy to the plight that harper's in and you know it doesn't portray her family as completely evil um although they 
have some horrific moments, but it it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make light of the situation either. It doesn't say, oh, she should just get on with it. You know, it's not an easy thing. Totally. I mean, I think I'm probably, I think I'm the only person of the trio who has you know, personal experience of of doing that conversation mm. and coming out to your parents. And even when you know they'd be perfectly fine, it's still scary. Mm. But yeah, it did handle that really well in that it didn't, there was no judgment of anyone. Yeah. It was there a situation that happened and she got herself stuck in it. She didn't know how to get out of it. When she did get herself out of it, I don't know how spoilery we're getting with them. Let's go. I think we're going spoilers. So people, if you're listening, we're going to go spoilers for the second half of uh, of Happier Season. So, you know, go away, watch it, come back if you're worried. So when she when she did come out to her parents, or rather was outed to her parents, her mum didn't react in the way that I thought was going to happen. Like she went and had the conversation with the dad of, yeah, you know, we made some mistakes here. Yeah. Yeah, which was heartening, actually, the 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 that she had at least that much self-awareness and that they realized maybe it had to be something as big and as ridiculous as a brawl over a Christmas tree for those parents to really wake up. Yeah. Yeah. I felt all that was a little bit rushed at the end. It was a little bit convenient. I know this is the movies and this is a Christmas movie and suddenly, (laughs) you know, the light, the light bulbs go off and everyone goes, oh, hang on a minute, maybe we'd be doing this all a bit wrong. And I come to this conclusion very quickly and very sensibly, and I must have a conversation with my husband to explain it to him. But, you know, that's the way these kind of movies work, and I think we can forgive that a little bit. But maybe there is something, as you say, in that, that something extreme happens that sort of jolts people into quite quick realisations in real life. Maybe actually when you have almost a kind of shock it does it does have that effect. So I thought, yeah, I thought it was interesting, and I do I agree with Ollie the way that, Almost all the characters, actually all the characters were treated with sympathy. I mean, mm. some of them were quite were quite small characters and I could have seen a bit more of them. But And I thought it was interesting because I thought they were angling um, for her, the sister Sloane's husband to be gay. There was a suggestion oh, that he was. 100%. He just, yeah, don't you, really? think, you think that's the twist? You think, oh, he's going to be on to her because he's gay and la, la, la. And I don't know if they just changed their minds or they just decided that that was some kind of, they were trying to misdirection. But it was right. quite funny that then, now that that is not the case, there is a problem in the marriage, but that is not what the problem is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was weird, but also quite funny that they wrong-footed us. And I think there was a few times that, whether whether by accident or design, I think, in a few times in this film, just takes little directions you're not particularly expecting. I mm. thought the pace was quite on the slow and gentle side, um, which I which I didn't mind. But then when it introduced quite hectic fast, it did seem like quite a change of tone and quite a change of, of, of speed. Um, but but I, I took it all in my stride. I, en- I enjoyed all that. It was fine. Yeah. I thought the same thing was coming from little things that were said. And there was there was a point half about halfway through the side, is everyone going to come out? <laughs> that would be great. Is this going to be the twist that everyone is gay? <laughs> you mentioned Sloane there, which I think is, a, she's really interesting because she is the closest thing we have to a baddie uh, for most of the film. And then it turns out, you know, again, she's perhaps as much of a, of a victim as, as Harper is. But she's so awful. But... But I loved her situation in the family. I loved the fact that she's been their golden child. She's been their kind of chief braggable daughter. And and then she does exactly what those parents would have wanted her to do, which is to have ki- get married and have kids. And then she decides to look, focus on looking after the kids. But it turns out that isn't what they wanted after all. They still wanted her to do all the other stuff. It's a very kind of women having it all kind of dilemma, I think, that she's in. 
And it's it's so much about communication, isn't it? Like a mm. lot of sort of family comedies are, comedy dramas. Um, it's about people not being straight with each other and assuming things about each other. There's so much assumption in this film with all the characters thinking that everyone wants them to do this or that they will mm-hmm. judge them this way if they tell them the truth which also applies to the other film we're going to be discussing. And it's, um, yeah, and, it, and it's kind of, it's, it's a fairly common um, thread, obviously, in, in films, but for a good reason, because I think probably Christmas is a time when we all do get together with family and suddenly think, how much do I really know these people mm. sometimes, you know? And and, and actually, you know, if, if a bit of honesty creeps out, you realise perhaps you don't know people as well as you think. Um, and it's uh, maybe that is true to life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I do think I do think it did quite well. It's that feeling that you you get of when you you're all home for Christmas is that you do revert to your <laughs> to your childhood self. Like you're you're you got stuck at a certain point in your in your childhood, and you are you are going to be that forevermore when you go home. I think it got that quite well. Yeah, no matter how accomplished and sophisticated you are in life, when you go home to your parents for Christmas with your brother and sisters, then it all bets are off. Hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not that I am either accomplished or sophisticated, but I'm pretty sure that's the case for everybody. Yeah. Helen, you are accomplished and sophisticated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's very kind. A little bit too long pause, but that's okay. <laughs> Didn't even occur to me to say it. <laughs> but um but no, but it is it is it is a weird thing that the dynamic between the sisters, um, and poor Jane, the left behind sister who sleeps in the basement. <laughs> And isn't bragged about at all, but is relied upon to fix the Wi-Fi is is a figure, you know, that again exists, I think, uh, I suspect, in many families um, of more than one child. Yeah, I think Jane is one of the best comic touches, actually, of the film to have this kind of forgotten sister who's just like, hello, I'm here. Yeah. Oh, it's OK. Go and fix this then, you know, and just <laughs> consistently overlooked, but also really rather sweet and 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 thoughtful and desperately just trying to do things and get little projects off the ground and yeah I thought she was a lovely character actually yeah she was really good the only time I even came close to crying was when they smashed her painting I felt so sad for her when she said it took me a hundred took me a hundred hours yeah it was was terrible there was no need no need I will say though I'm not sure I approve of her trying to win over everyone she talks to at every party she goes to by describing her fantasy series because uh, <laughs> as somebody who likes books with dragons in I can tell you I don't think that's the way to go you know you try and it doesn't work yeah. I've tried yeah it's a it's a remarkably unsuccessful flirting <laughs> technique you know so just if I had one note for Jane it would really be just like limit the fantasy chat to to a minimum I think Um, but I love that they very casually drop into conversation in like the first scene he's in that Dan Levy's character John is a is an agent for authors and then that pays off at the end like it's a beautifully constructed script and after watching a lot of very bad Christmas movies it is delightful to see a script that is just well written and has quotable lines and is funny on purpose you know, so I, I've got to give it props for that. Yeah, I'm so slow that I didn't, I didn't pick up that he was an agent until about <laughs> until the credits had started. It's like, why is he sitting at the table? Oh yeah, they mentioned that. They mentioned he was an agent early on. There was a reason. Chekhov's agent. Chekhov's agent. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like how subtle some of the little comic touches are, actually. it's all, They are almost blink and you'll miss them. And I much mm. prefer that for something being hammered home. And there was another one, which was very brief, but when she puts um, Harper puts on a, a little black dress, um, which is quite a distinctive style, 
and mm. says, oh, there was an early Christmas present and rolls her eyes. The implication there is it's a present from her mother. Her mother, played by the wonderful Mary Steenburgen, and later appears in a very similar dress. And I just thought there's a little bit of costume joking there, but no one's very pointing point. it out. So it's, it's saying her mother is like trying to make her in her own image. But, it's, mm. but then no one comments on the fact that it's the same designer dress. So. That's a totally good point. I hadn't even picked up on that. That's really good. Um, and again, the mother setting her up with her ex-boyfriend as well. Is, it's that same kind of just remaking her in her own image. Also, like this is a slightly more on-the-nose line, but the very first thing her mother asks her when she gets home is, did you bring concealer? Yeah. Um, there's a double meaning in that. I don't know if you noticed. But <laughs> <laughs> very good. Absolutely mad. Yeah. Um, but it is. it does feel like, a, I mean, this is a, you know, a very, very rich family, a very, very nice house. They have a budget for decorating, which God knows not every Christmas movie does. But it again, it just feels relatable in, in the, the dilemmas and the, the reactions between the characters, which I think is what sells it, um, even when they're being completely ridiculous. The one thing that isn't realistic about it at all is actually if you look at the dates on the mother's Instagram at the end, yes, I did. I was um, <laughs> oh, well completely done. nerdy about this. This is set at Christmas 2020. This should all be happening in the next 30 days. Um, so they didn't manage to take into account certain things that are happening this year, which is a shame. I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think a socially distanced version of that film would not be that exciting. <laughs> That's what we've got coming next year or the year yeah. after, has it? Well, by which time, hopefully we'll be over it and not wanting to think about it anymore. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a year for escapism. So let's watch people mm -hmm. being cosy at Christmas in more than three households. <laughs> Absolutely. And I wonder, I do wonder if this is a bit of a, um, a turning point for Christmas movies in terms of kind of representation and widening our, our, you know, our definition of a Christmas movie this year, because we've already had Jingle Jangle, which had a almost entirely black cast. Um, also on Netflix, we've also had a film called A New York Christmas Wedding, which the production values are so low, I almost switched off in the first 10 minutes because I honestly thought the camera was going to fall over a couple of times. But um, but actually, you know, it, the storytelling and the characters are pretty good. And, and that, again, is a is a lesbian or bisexual love story um, set. You won't believe it in New York. Um, so, you know, there are these things kind of beginning to come out. And there's a, there's also a, a gay love story uh, on the Lifetime channel, I think, as well. So, you know, they are trying to get past the idea of the white straight Christmas movie, I think, at last. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a great thing. It's weird that it's, you know, taken this long. I mean, there really is nothing gayer than Christmas. <laughs> All so the tinsel, I'm, fairy oh, lights. <laughs> there's nothing as camp as Christmas. Not that being gay means being camp necessarily. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, one of the things that is really nice about this film is that it is, it's, despite it being a film about someone coming out and having not come out, it's very casual mm. about sexuality like mm. it's not somewhere where being gay is a big deal to anyone other than than these two specific parents mm. and I also quite like that it is representative of there's not just a type of gay person which you often get in films where there is a gay character yep. they either go extremely camp or they or they worry about doing a stereotype of gay people and go just someone who seems as straight as as straight as can be it's got a whole different spectrum of like types of gay people like mm. abby is quite she dresses quite sort of androgynously mm. um harper doesn't even in her even when she's not trying to you know pretend anything to her mum yeah. and you've got the wonderful dan levy who we have not mentioned i yet. mean not enough yeah. no you never can yeah um who is a bit camp but not massively camp and i i yeah i like that it's like 
there's all kinds of gay people. Gay people mm-hmm. are just gay people too. Yeah. Like they're just people too. And the drag queen in the Christmas tree dress, I was extremely jealous. It was a sort of green dress with sort of bits of po- bits of lace that had pom-poms in the lace. Oh, I was super here for it. I would absolutely wear yes, that. Yes, they were, um, are you a RuPaul, RuPaul's Drag Race watcher? Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. A that little bit. Ben de la Creme and Jinx Monsoon. Jinx Monsoon. Ah, mm. oh, good knowledge. Thank one, you. One and with the lines that I prepare, it's monsoon season, baby. Okay, and there's a great there's a great uh, pronunciation of happiness in their song, <laughs> which I also I also appreciated. They've they've put the work in there. Um, but yeah, Dan Le- we haven't discussed Dan Levy enough. He's brilliant. Incredible selection of outerwear here as well, like fantastic coats. He always dresses fantastic. I mean, like Shit's Creek is worth watching just to see his costume changes, isn't it? But it, I felt like it was a slightly similar character here to that, although although more explicitly um, in terms of his sexuality. Um, but he does it so brilliantly. And I, what I liked also is that he's more feminist than the women in this movie. Like he's constantly giving Abby advice and like, hang on, you, how can you call yourself a woman if you're letting these people tell you what to do you know call yourself a feminist and oh you know he's, he's very anti-marriage yeah. and there's even some kind of big feminist statement like on his wall when you glimpse his flat um so yeah I, th- I thought he I thought he was great fun and, and just having that little character trait made him less of a stereotype as, as Ollie says you know that he's not he's not just a cookie cutter gay best friend at all All right, well, let's talk a little bit about While You Were Sleeping as well, which I think is a film we're all fairly affectionate towards um, because Sandra Bullock, if nothing else. Is that right? Yes. Yes, because everything for me. I mean, (laughs) I just love this film so much. Um, Sandra Bickle is a lot of it. Um, And for me, it's one of my late mother's favourite films, actually. It was one of her go-to films. So when I was watching it earlier, I must say, you know, when you shed a tear, it's a combination of the personal things you bring to it, you know, with that. But that, again, makes it a great movie to watch at Christmas because it comes Mm. loaded with happy memories. But I think Sandra Bullock is, well, she's always fantastic, but she's particularly beguiling in this film um and i think it says a lot for her that this is a film written and directed by men that she manages to make it such um an engaging female character and of course credit to them as well actually because it is a really really well written film and also bill pullman i mean i just think her and bill pullman together i mean that there is the romance that happiest season was missing i'm afraid you know (laughs) while you were sleeping is funny and it's deeply romantic i mean they're kind of they're kind of messing around if you want christmas or the messing around in the snow that they do, you know, the falling over in the snow. And major event, events happen on Christmas Day and New Year's Eve as well. So it's very firmly set in the Christmas period and very definitely romantic. Holly, how about you? Knowing how much Anna loves it, I feel feel slightly bad saying it's not <gasps> one of my favourite Sandra Bullock. <gasps> but Sandra Bullock makes up for an awful lot of things. And I just, you know, I'll watch anything with her in it. And I do, I do think it's very charming. I don't find it very Christmassy. Oh, but there's the carrying the she pulls a tree up to her yeah, window. Yeah, it's, and then... it starts with a tree, mm. um, and yeah, there's very much Christmas in there. But it doesn't it doesn't make me feel Christmassy. Okay, maybe it's because okay. it goes past Christmas. Yeah, that that no, it does admittedly do that. Well, we're we're going to score it for Christmassiness later. So I think I think you're right. We will have to we will have to pay attention to that. But I mean, Sandra Bullock was interesting. This was like she was post breakthrough in her career at this point, sort of post-speed and stuff, and really kind of beginning to kind of climb up the A-list, I guess. But this was, you know, one of her first, I guess one of the first leads that was sold primarily on her name 
rather than say Keanu Reeves or somebody. And, and, you know, you're right, Anna, she really kind of takes ownership of it. And I think gives it a lot of what it has because, you know, that whole kind of subplot with uh, her landlord's son, Joey Jr., who keeps relentlessly hitting on her. And so basically she has to run the gauntlet every time she goes into or leaves the house with this, this dude hitting on her. It's, it doesn't feel like something that men always are aware is out there is happening, and and yet it's it's sort of a major subplot here. Yeah, and it's it's played for laughs, but it's always it's also in a way a testament of her character the way that she manages to diffuse quite mm. an awkward situation of sexual harassment by sort of making light of it or sort of half playing along and then comforting and massaging his ego. It may not be very twenty twenty, but I think um, I think the, the character that's written beautifully, Sandra Bullock's character, but also the way that she plays it. Um, I think Sandra Bullock's absolutely tremendous in this. And I think she brings something that isn't on the page because I love those kind of little cute noises she makes, which you know just aren't in the script. And she's just going, hm, hm, hm. And, and it could be really mannered and affected in the wrong hands. And, you know, we've seen a lot of actors try that kind of thing and do it very badly. But I think she brings a lot of character to it. And I also love the way that, um, I don't know whether this was in the original script, but it kind of refers to her physique at certain points in a way which is, quite down to earth for a romantic comedy she's not sexualized she just goes oh you know I look like my father because I've got brown hair and a flat chest you know just, and that's just it <laughs> you know and I, and I love that yeah she's not as glamorous as some some romantic comedy leads including some of the ones she went on to play herself you know Miss Congeniality or something however reluctant she was to be glamorized in that I suppose um but yeah it's uh it's it's it sometimes tries a little bit hard, I think, on that on that front, because, I mean, she is still Sandra Bullock. So, you know, there's only so much you can really say about her being normal looking before you're a bit like, I mean, is she though? She's absolutely beautiful. I think beautiful. It's true. But I think there's quite a good acknowledgement of that. Like when um, Bill Pullman's character sort of goes right quite early on, there's a sudden sign that he fancies her, which is the first mm-hmm. one. And you had no sense of it before. She says something like, I'm not very photogenic. And he, he sort of says, I doubt that, like kind of half <laughs> under his breath, which is a tacit acknowledgement of what we're all thinking, that obviously she's deeply photogenic. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's... um. The, the relationship between them, I think, is really nicely drawn because, you know, immediately upon meeting her and, and saying, oh, this is, you know, Peter's fiance, she, she, he's like, no, it isn't. Nah. And it just just immediately he's he's kind of, it's not so much necessarily suspicion, it feels like, but just denial that that could possibly be the case, it feels to me. Yeah, I, the, the relationship between them is is lovely. One of the things I most like about it, like I said, I don't love it as much as Anna, but I do think it's mm. very charming because mm. you stick Sandra Bullock in something and it's charming. Uh, the fact that the the premise of of the movie is deeply creepy, you know, <laughs> she she really glosses over that very easily. Uh, but the way I really like that the um, the way that they realise they like each other is over moving a sofa. <laughs> I think it's just I think that's something so charming about that because it does require mm. a lot of cooperation and you Absolutely. know understanding of the other person to get a sofa into a building. I do yeah, they're they're super lovely together. Mm. I've seen couples break up over getting a sofa into a building. So to actually get together, that's amazing. <laughs> it feels like the opposite of that scene with the wagon wheel coffee table in, in When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. You know, it's it's the cooperation to move in together and and agree on something. Although, I mean, that sofa should have been a sign immediately that, you know, his parents don't necessarily know the man they're giving it to because <laughs> it could not look more out of place in that apartment. It no. just doesn't fit even slightly. 
it's hideous, absolutely hideous. <laughs> but I, th- I think that's the point. You know, there's this quite candid symbolism about mm. the sort of love seat that he's handcrafted, which is just much more classy and very, you know, you've got lo- lovely personality as opposed to this monstrosity that the parents <laughs> have given. Um, and the idea is she much prefers this little chair to the to the big one. So yes, yeah. Oh, I wonder what that could mean. Oh, yeah. the sign. <laughs> This maybe says a lot more about me than the actual chair, but something about the design of his chair did say a little bit electric chair to me. <laughs> it has that. Look at it again. That's horrible. Wow. <laughs> Way to ruin while you were sleeping, Ollie. My God. Um, I mean, you you refinish furniture. You should be absolutely, you know, on board with Jack's interest in, in making his own stuff. Uh, yeah, that's not quite true. What I do is is I find find old tables on the street and then sand them and oil them. <laughs> not quite the <laughs> Close same. Close enough, Molly. It's, it's, it's all the same to me. I can't do anything practical, <laughs> so you're ahead of me. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that their their relationship, like it does, it does hit some kind of Christmas movie cliches. They do slip on some ice. I mean, which I feel like is is present in about. 50% of Christmas movies because it's one of the cheaper things you can do. You can obviously have people like fly off to the North Pole or you can have them go to a fabulous Christmas ball. But you know what you can do for a lot less money? Have them slip on some ice. And it's a great way to to get someone accidentally into someone else's arms, isn't it? <gasps> oh my goodness, they're so sneaky. <laughs> Um, there's also the discussion of leaning, which is one of the things that I feel like I'm, I remember most about this film. And I honestly couldn't tell you why it's stuck with me the way it has. But this idea that there's something different between standing close to somebody and talking and leaning. Yeah, that is, it, it's sort of funny, but actually I think that almost airs towards the creepy in that bit because it's, it's very weird because they're talking about Joe Jr. leaning in and then he's demonstrating how he leans in and then it becomes this kind of romantic sexualized moment and they're like is this really how you want to kiss someone while talking about Joe Jr.? But I guess that's the comedy <laughs> in it um, but yeah the, the leaning thing I mean that's certainly something we've seen a lot in many probably many a movie and probably a few mm. Christmas ones. And it does maybe even things up between them because you know while she is maybe behaving badly and perhaps in a slightly stalkerish manner, make cozying up to the family of her crush while he's in a coma. There's no good way to put that. Um, it, it also does have his brother making excuses to spend time with her, turning up at her flats. And, you know, there's an argument that maybe he's being a little bit creepy too. There's a lot in this movie that that's, the premise of the movie is creepy. It's you could easily recut this as well. You could remake this as a horror film with, without much difficulty. <laughs> uh, but it it says a lot for the movie and everyone in it, and you know John Turtletaub, uh, mm. that it doesn't come across creepy. I think that's true. I mean, I guess the problem is with modern lens, almost every rom com is problematic in some respect, right? There's there's stalkerish behaviour in so many of them. You know, there's kind of what we would consider inappropriateness. Is it even possible to make something like this nowadays, do you think? I feel like the the premise was all, always a bit, eh. Is it? But the fact that you, again, the fact that you cast Sandra Bullock, it works. So, yeah, if you cast someone as good as Sandra Bullock, like if you put, I don't know, Emma Stone, Emma Stone. or someone in it, it would work. Totally. And, yeah. and I think the gender is a factor here, rightly or wrongly. I think if it was the genders were switched in this, it would be way, way creepier. Like when you look at that 
Passengers film, which almost not quite the same premise, mm. but when he wakes her up in space, just, just you know, and basically, th- you know, sentences her to death just so he can have some company. Um, that's really, really creepy. But yeah, thinking about or, it the other way around. Is it I, talk to her? Was the was that talk the to her, I was thinking, Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a comparable one. Yeah, and that that is definitely meant to be almost hit thriller horror. Creepy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and but I think in this it's always made clear that as you say she is doing a bad thing and she's no she she knows she's doing yeah. a bad thing and she knows she's having a fantasy that isn't real um she's very lonely um she's she shouldn't be thinking this she's trying to stop it it's not like she's saying hey it's okay yeah you know the fact that they do get pretty she I guess as close as to walking down the aisle is a bit suspect but then it kind of works really well as a kind of romantic um so comic comic moment um but I think I think it acknowledges the creepiness of its premise just enough um while while possibly not being something that you could comfortably do today without it being questioned (laughs) I do think it quite it was quite clever in that it I forget the name of the the relative but one of one of the older relatives says to her pretty early on I know what's going mm. on i thought that's yes, a good choice it's okay she's been she's been given a she's been given a, a reason to yeah exactly a path yeah. to carry on it, it's it's soul who i think is the next door neighbor and and sort of adopted uncle yes. um and they're worried about elsie the grandmother who's played by glynis johns who is the mum in mary poppins yes. she is the first on-screen suffragette i ever saw and still my favorite so uh so i would be worried about her too i mean that's a that's a totally good reason to do anything that yeah you gotta look after her I think that's a really important moment, actually. You kind of need that extra kind of per- moment of peril or reason to compel her to c- continue lying. And what better than, you know, the granny might have a heart attack. Yeah, that, ha- that okay, <laughs> fine, all right, I'm sold. Which is very yeah. timely. Yeah. We're, we're all trying very hard not to kill granny at the moment. Very true. That is true. This is a film for 2020, mm-hmm. you know. Wow. Um, yeah, she can actually be with the guy she wants to be with. You know, not because... In this case, because he's in a coma. In our case, obviously, because, you know, we infect each other or whatever. But th- there is a 2020 kind of parallel there that's very smartly observed. Um, what did you think about the big romantic ending of the film, which uh, technically is we're after Christmas by this point, right? We're we're pretty much at New Year now. Well, I you know, it's just I, I think however they would have done it, it would have worked out because it's Paul Pillman and yeah. Sandra Bullock. And you've just been waiting, waiting, waiting. And it almost doesn't matter at that point how it happens you're just waiting for it to happen um it is a bit corny that he comes into the booth where she's working and you know but it but it's it's willfully corny it's knowingly corny and you know that you know the the whole family being there for the proposal is quite funny um but but it also underlines the point of the film and the cozy heart of the film that it's she's fallen in love with not just him but the entire family and they all need to accept her and they all need to forgive her and it's very handy that they can all cram outside this booth and prove that <laughs> in one very quick scene everyone's forgiven her it's okay yeah i really hope they're not there at rush hour because everyone's going to hate them if they are i mean my god uh, if if it's a, if it's at a quieter moment, that's fine. I'm also really intrigued that the the final shot of the film is them, you know, riding away on a on an L train, basically on one of the elevated trains that she works on, uh, that they always used to take in ER to get to work. But I mean, is that that doesn't seem like a thing that would normally be allowed to have your sort of just married sign on the back of a public transport? But well, you know, she's I think I think she's probably a very valued um, Valu- staff yeah, course, member, so they would make an exception. <laughs> Even though she's about to go on holiday yeah. to Florence. Ugh. But she <laughs> but never right, normally takes a holiday. So, exactly. you know, they're letting her off this time. 
Hi, everybody. My name's Helen. And I'm Kobe. And we're from Flix Watcher, a podcast in the strip media family. We are a movie podcast and we review films that are just on Netflix in the UK. So if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix to watch, we're the podcast for you. We have guests on from other podcasts, big and small, just like these guys that you listen to now. They choose the films and we rate them and discuss them with our unique scoring system. You can find Flix Watcher on any podcast app by searching Flix Watcher. That's F-L-I-X Watcher. And if you want more information about any of the other podcasts in the Strip Media family, just visit www.strips.media to find out more. I think we've talked about these two films enough. Let's get to the ranking stage. So we, we use two criteria here. We use Christmassiness, a very scientific term, and objective quality. Like if you strip away the bonus points we're giving for that warm Christmas glow, are these still films that are good? So first of all, can we rank Happiest Season and While You Were Sleeping for Christmassiness? I would go for Christmassiness on Happiest Season I think an eight, because I got a sense, of, a sense mm. of Christmas in almost every scene. Yeah. Um, do we rank both at the same time? or Anna's Yeah, let's, let's do that. Yeah, okay. we'll, do, we'll do both. And for While You Were Sleeping, this is not a reflection on quality, but for no, me, for Christmas, it's like a five. Wow, okay. Yeah, which is because not, it's the whole period it's, afterwards. Yeah, it's a bit of Christmas, but it's, it's a winter film more than anything. Winter. Yeah. <laughs> Winter is coming. Yeah. Anna, how about you? I'm going to agree on Happiest Season. I think it is an an eight because, as as Ollie says, it's Christmas almost every scene. It opens with very Christmassy. And Mm. there's gift giving, there's trees, um, there's parties, there's alcohol, there's fallouts, there's everything you expect from a Christmas movie. So I think that's a strong strong one um there's even you know draggy santas it's great um, <laughs> so that's strong i i think for me while you're sleeping is more christmasy than a five out of ten so i'd probably go for six and a half seven mm-hmm. um just because of the the way i see it as very escapist and very suited to christmas viewing um as well as being set over the christmas period but i take ollie's point that it's not entirely christmasy <laughs> i really that's fair. I really enjoyed that Anna's Anna's list of things that are Christmassy went from <laughs> present giving along to alcohol and falling yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's pretty she's realistic, not wrong. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to pretty much agree. I think r- roughly anyway. I would. I might even go nine for for happiest season because it has the whole thing. They're touring outside Christmas lights to begin with. They have the whole run up to Christmas. This kind of awkward traveling home being put in a spare room. If you follow that um, Twitter thread every Christmas Eve, which I've forgotten who does it, but someone gets Twitter users to send in the pictures of where they're sleeping for uh, Christmas Rodri, back at the Rodri family Ma- home. Rodri Marsden. Rodri Marsden, yeah. thank you. Um, and and it's always fun, just hilarious because there's, you know, growing adults crammed into baby beds and craft rooms and every room in the house has clearly been converted in some way to form a, form a bedroom of sorts for the holiday. And there's a, there's an element of that there when, you know, per uh, Christmas year is is chucked into the craft room in the basement uh, for, for, for her thing. Um, so the, And there's all the, you know, awkward dinners with people you don't know, big parties that you don't really want to go to, but you kind of have to. The decorations are on point. Um, they're even icing gingerbread. I mean, short of Santa himself turning up at the end to out Harper, it's really hard to see how it could have been more Christmassy. So I, I, I would go like a nine, I think, on that one. Um, 
And while you were sleeping, okay, yes, it's kind of the season around and okay, hospitals are not the most Christmassy. I will give you that. But I still think it's a six or a seven because as Anna says, there's that warm glow about it. Um, who doesn't want to spend Christmas with Bill Pullman and Sandra Bullock? That's my question. I do. That'd be no, amazing. Nobody I want to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then sort of objective, as far as that's a thing, but objective quality. Like, are these actually good films if you strip out the Christmasness? Uh, would Happy Season be as good a movie without Christmas in it? Yes, I think so. I think you mm-hmm. could you could extract Christmas from that and that movie would totally work. So what would I give that out of 10? Mm. I think, because like I say, I think the first half is not great as a comedy but the second half is is very well written i would go seven seven okay yeah uh while you were sleeping again like i say i there's some inherent creepiness to the premise (laughs) but it's sandra bullock i don't think any no film with sandra bullock that i can think of is less than like a six out of ten just because i will Mm. watch her watch her do anything I think I'm going to go. I'm. It's Christmas. I don't want to split them up. Let's go for seven for both. All right. Yeah. Anna, how about you? I'm torn on this one. I think. Yeah, happiest season. I do really, really like it. It's consistently funny. Really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, you take the Christmas out of it. Still, yeah, as Ollie says, still really, really strong film. Um, and it does what it sets out to do. It's not trying to be any kind of profound movie, but I think it succeeds what it's trying to do. So I think a strong seven. Yeah, I'm going to agree mm. on that. Um, but then give my fondness for while you were sleeping. And, and that doesn't really require the Christmas presents, presents at all. But it does what it does in terms of setting out to be a really cosy rom-com. And I'm going to ignore the creepiness because uh, I'm so fond of it. And I'm going to say nine. <laughs> do it. Do it. Live that dream. I don't need anyone else to feel the creepiness that I feel. From. <laughs> I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy that you don't. <laughs> I acknowledge the creepiness and I just don't care. I find this with a lot of rom-coms. Like even, you know, something like You've Got Mail, arguably they're kind of stalking each other. Certainly he's stalking her. I don't care. It's Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. I'm here for it, you know, and, and I feel the same way about While You Were Sleeping. So I think I'm probably an eight on uh, Happiest Season. I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, could that be because I've been watching a lot of very low quality rom-coms with Christmas themes recently and this came as a breath of fresh air? Possibly. But still, it is head and shoulders above most Christmas rom-coms. And I, I feel like I'm, I might be giving it bonus points for that. But equally, I do think it is a well-executed film. Um in a genre that Hollywood has kind of stopped doing mm-hmm. uh, to, to a large degree. And yet, while you were sleeping, like Anna, I, I just love it. I just And I love them, and I just think they're great. And it just shows how great casting can elevate a, a, a decent concept. But yes, that has some creepiness, but who cares really in the overall scheme of things? So uh, at least an eight for that, possibly even an oh, What the heck? It's Christmas! Nine! <laughs> yes! Uh, so that means that they have been scored and they have, I haven't added it up yet in my head, but they have scored highly. So well done to both of these films. I think the only films that have scored similarly highly in this series have been Joya Noel did quite well but on both fronts. <laughs> fronts, sorry. Oh, God, uh, Eastern, Eastern and Western, that's really inappropriate. Uh, and, and perhaps surprisingly, Fred Claus and Noel also scored highly, which I did not see coming. So uh, Fred Claus is great. It's 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 overlong, but it's not bad. Yeah, I yeah. Spoiler for a future episode or repetition of an earlier episode. I don't know which order I'm, <laughs> I'm releasing these in. So there you go. Um, listen, thank you so much for being here, both of you. If people would like more of your wit and wisdom, where can they find you? 
So people can follow me on Twitter at Anna Smith Journo, and from there you can get onto Girls on Film podcast and on Instagram Anna Smith Film Critic, and I sometimes pop up on BBC News and other places. Awesome. Uh, most days you can find me drinking by the bins. Um, <laughs> on Twitter, you can find me at Ollie underscore Richard, although I'm not on there much anymore. Um, Instagram, you can find lots of pictures of my dog and the furniture that I've been sanding and oiling at, <laughs> at Ollie Richards. Awesome. Check it out, people. Honestly, the furniture is gorgeous. So well done. And happy Christmas, everybody. We're nearly there. Happy, happy Christmas. Christmas. If you've enjoyed listening to Bar Humbug, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because it really helps other people find the show. You can also subscribe so you automatically get the rest of this podcast lined up hassle-free and it's only going to be a limited run up to Christmas. It won't be using up all your data. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can pre-order my book, Women vs. Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, which comes out in February 2021. You can also, of course, find me in Empire Magazine, which is the world's best film magazine for my money. And I'm on the Empire podcast every week and host the podcast, His Darker Materials, to coincide with the BBC HBO drama, His Dark Materials. If you'd like to connect with me or comment on the show or have any queries or comments, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Helen L. O'Hara, or you can email producers at stripped.media. And I'd like to thank all the people who have made this podcast happen. Thanks to all the team at Strip Media, including Ben Williams, who edits this podcast, as well as Tom Wally, Dave Corkery and Kobe Omanaka, who have all helped produce and put this show together. Thanks also to all of my guests who have been absolutely wonderful in giving up their time to watch some Christmas films that are not always 100% great. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and others produced by Strip Media, please visit www.stripped.media to find out more. And that's it. Merry Christmas. You just heard a Stripped Media production. 